This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Rookie and Nice, the new podcast from BBC Good Food. My name is Miriam Nice. And I'm Nadia Zirfat, also known as the Rookie Chef. Unlike Miriam, I'm right at the start of my cooking journey. My day-to-day job is replying to your feedback and talking to you on our social media channels. Whereas I've been working in food and food writing for many years, including the last six at BBC Good Food. In this series, we're joining forces to deep dive into a recipe with an expert guest and help answer your cookery questions too. While I learn how to perfect a new dish, each week Miriam will be finding out how and when it's served and who to. Join us as we learn all about some of our favourite dishes and uncover some great cookery tips direct from the experts. This episode, we're going to be talking about a very popular recipe. It's really popular. Like 14,000 people search for this recipe each month, which is basically the same amount as like an entire small town all searching for it at once. So with us to talk about this recipe is cookery teacher, chef and food stylist Nikita Gohane. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. All things considered. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and like what you what you do. Yeah, well, I am a former geologist, former food journalist. Um, now I run my own cookery school um, and uh, I do food styling, as you've mentioned, and also uh, recipe development. And um, we get a lot of people coming onto our Taste of the Punjab course. And I think one of the reasons why they do like to do that is because we will be doing things like butter chicken. So you're right, there's a, always um, a huge uh, demand for that. And when I was doing a little bit of research for you, there's a whole raft of interpretations on this. As you can imagine, with any recipe, there always is. So um, I think anyone wanting to do this recipe, they should... Uh, free up their minds. Don't sort of get too bogged down about necessarily um, getting panicked about the details If you can make this yours. And I think for a lot of people, they will have ordered the butter chicken. They've got some kind of idea uh, from the restaurant what they want. And, you know, you should be able to manipulate it to make it uh, match that or even something better. Amazing. Um, before we like do a full-on deep dive into the recipe, we've got a few questions from our audience. Yeah. Nadia, have you got those? Yeah, so it's interesting you say that uh, butter chicken is quite a popular dish on your course. Um, in our Facebook group, BBC Good Food Together, I asked sort of, the audience what they'd like to know from you about the dish. And um, Ed Kingscott asked, why does it seem to be a favourite curry for so many places? What do you think? I think it has this combination of roasted meat with uh, a, a, 
a sort of a, a deep curry sauce. You know, it combines people's love of a, a rich gravy with that um, that char grilled flavour, which people like from from roasted meats. So, I mean, it's a great all rounder in that sense. Yeah, and um, Claire McCabe asked. Just this week, I made the slow cooker butter chicken. There was no butter in it, though. What makes a good butter chicken and where does it get the name? Yeah, I mean, I think the clue is in the name. I mean, people <laughs> will. It's a restaurant dish, really. And it seems wherever you are in restaurant world, people are going to be chucking lots of butter, lots of salt. And with a, a South Asian context, a bit of chilli in, you've got a great set of uh, flavours there, which are quite uh, Moorish. So in the subcontinent, they will be using a lot of butter. It has cream in as well. So, it, I mean, it is unctuous and delicious and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's rich. I mean, I think that's the thing which draws people to it. So it's probably more of a treat dish. It should be really more of a treat dish than sort of uh, an everyday thing. Yeah, I think you'll find that there's some, you know, some people will do recipes. I think we've probably done a few where yeah. we've wanted to give people that flavour, but not um, they've not been able to put that much butter in. So we've had to try and find them alternatives or do like vegan mm. versions or things like that. But yeah, it should, to do it properly, it should have a, a yeah. good amount of butter in Yeah. <laughs> So, and I think when people come to our classes, they're all often they're quite surprised at the amount of oil we might be using to cook things. And you do need those fats if you really want to release those flavours. And I, yeah. I think often people are a little bit surprised. So uh, even <clears throat> something simple like frying onions, if you don't have as much oil in, essentially you end up sort of boiling your onions. Yeah. And that's a different flavour from a fried yeah. taste. I'm never shy when using butter or oil. I just tip it all in <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. I should sort of limit that a bit but I feel like it does give so much flavor to a dish um speaking of sort of the the necessity for butter and fat um Joy Hackett asked can it be made with a dairy-free alternative I mean everything is up for interpretation and uh, she shouldn't be afraid of trying uh vegan alternatives and you talk about different interpretations of the dish and how people sort of adapt it to their taste, but would you be able to tell us a little bit of history about the dish, which is a question that Alison Austin asked? Yeah, I mean, there is quite a bit about this um, online and it is, um, it seems like it is, its heritage, I guess, comes from, Nadia, your kind of family area, the sort of Persia, Central Asia, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, where people had these um, tandoori style, tandoor like ovens. So they're used to roasting meats in there. Yeah. And it's come over to India. Legend, well, it, it's believed, it, in a sense, it's a kind of uh, a dish about partition. So you had guys, Hindu guys, living in. Um, Peshawar, part of uh, then northwestern India, um, who were starting to cook these tandoori style, tandoor, using tandoor ovens to cook these meats. And then after partition, they moved over to the Hindu side. They went into India, left what became Pakistan, and set up their restaurant in Delhi. And it became very popular there, the tandoori meats, and also not wanting to waste anything 
Uh, so creating a buttery sauce to go with it, it apparently became very popular. So prime ministers and presidents at that time would bring visiting dignitaries over, President Nixon or you know people such as that to come over. It would be, it was kind of fated. I think it's quite interesting that, I guess, from my family perspective, our family wouldn't really have gone to restaurants at all. So I can't imagine a lot of people going to restaurants in those days. So I imagine it was quite a, an exclusive thing. Yeah. I'm sure there was lots of still then street food vendors and maybe little cafeteria style things. But I suppose restaurant eating would have been quite a glamorous thing. Uh, hence all these foreign dignitaries going over there. And it, it I guess it became... Um, it was created then. And the great thing about a created dish is that once you've done it, everyone jumps on the bandwagon and everyone, it allows it to be interpreted in different ways. So if you do go online now, you'll see all sorts of variations on the dish. And there's a guy now uh, called Silash, I know, Chef uh, Saranj Goyle, who apparently, who's um, really made the butter chicken his thing by doing something slightly different to it. So it's, it's become, uh, you know, it becomes an organic thing. I find it quite interesting when you talk about butter chicken as a dish, you seem quite happy about different interpretations and people putting their own spin on it. And I guess it's quite refreshing because um, I don't know, with my dad, for example, he's very much a traditionalist. He's like, this dish has to be made in this way. But, you know, some people are more open to to people putting their spins on it and making it their own. I think it's very, I mean, we live in this world, especially um, people coming to my cookery school. This this word authenticity, it sort of dominates, it sort of hangs in the air. And uh, when my mum turns up and she does a little sort of cameo role, you can see people going, oh, well, the real McCoy has turned up. It's like, <laughs> now we're getting we're properly getting somewhere. Who's this charlatan who's uh, who can, who can do it all? But, I mean, if you... Let's think about things which are um, are quite unique and specific. The guy, let's think about um, the guy, uh, um, Arnold Bennett, eggs Arnold Bennett. I mean, that's supposed to be a, a specific dish invented for um, the writer. And yet there are variations now on that. A Waldorf salad, that's another thing. Mm made in the uh, Waldorf story in New York. And now people have taken it on and tweaked it a little bit. I, I mean, I, I don't think people should get hung up about authenticity. There will be people watching this who will think, well, you know what? Well, hopefully they'll think, I'm going to make a butter chicken mm. and I'm going to not get bogged down by too many of um, these so-called authentic or ancient ways of doing things just because people might not necessarily be cooking like that anymore you know what went on in the past what ingredients are local to you uh, my mother uh, will always say oh you know things will taste differently in India compared to what we get over here so straight away you've lost something you've lost terroir as it were the terroir of those particular food ingredients so you can't really uh, hope to you know stick to things too religiously, uh, and I and I wouldn't bother. I mean, you're, you're kind of you're, you're leading yourself down a mouse hole. I think you, you want in the end. I teach home cooking. I want my students to be able to do this kind of thing and to enjoy it and to replicate it and bring diversity to their cooking repertoire and just to have fun and enjoy what they're eating. Yeah, 
I went to your um, class and it was it was super fun and it, it was nice I didn't want to upset you when your mum came out I, I wanted to do everything right so that she wasn't annoyed with me I, I wanted to like pass um but yeah it was it was really really fun and I think it was nice that you you talked a lot about the kind of spices and having your own um selection of spices and that that was kind of personal to your household and I really took a lot of that away with me and thinking well I like more of this and more of that and it was just it was it was a really nice experience yeah yeah the home setting made it really good yeah the usual suspects yes the usual usual suspects suspects. I often think of yeah (laughs) Yeah. and so Nadia the the usual suspects are just I mean you'll have them in your household uh, your dad will have his usual suspects things to kickstart the dish yeah and so everyone whatever your cuisine, everyone has some usual suspects. They like to get things going. So uh, Miriam now has her set of usual suspects. What are your usual suspects, Miriam? Um, There's always a lot of cardamom in most things. I really am a bit obsessed with it. Um, And every time I pick up garlic, I think of you, Nadia, because I remember you reading some recipes and and like, oh, if it says one clove of garlic, I put in about five. (laughs) You can never have too much garlic, in my opinion. I love garlic. (laughs) Garlic. Yeah, there's, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things I kind of pick up and, and just they always have to be there. I get a bit nervous if I haven't, if I run out of um, nigella seeds or um, mm. onion seeds. If I run out of those, I get a bit annoyed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Cloves, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's the nice thing about cooking and ingredients, though. You can sort of have a set of ingredients, but each one has a different association in your head and you sort of think of a certain situation or person when you pick up an ingredient. That's yeah. nice, isn't it? I think so. And actually, Nigella's got quite a distinctive taste. I mean, why not um, experiment? If you want to do a butter chicken one day, why not just have a little garnish, a few little sprinkling of Nigella seeds, see if that does something to you. There'll be people uh, all around the world going, what the hell, Nigella, has he gone mental? (laughs) Uh, Has he gone mad? Um, So, uh, but, you know, in the end, you have to cook things that make you feel happy, that make you feel, uh, that you enjoy. It is great to follow a recipe. It is great to find uh, something which is, which someone has captured distinctly from maybe some mogul court dish and really go and see if you can recreate that or something sort of medieval, English or British or whatever it is and and see what was going on in those days. Here's a little aside. I found um, a wartime cookbook, um, foods which um, recipes from the Second World War, and they had a curry. And I thought, oh my god, this is absolutely crazy! The uh, what's going on here? And it's, it, it, it sounds absolutely awful. And I keep thinking, <laughs> I should actually. I can't really remember what. I mean, it, it's kind of like maybe blanked it, but there was, it was such an awful <laughs> combination. But I guess people were making do with what they had yeah. and what was coming into the country. And this country, Britain, is quite lucky compared to a lot of other countries in the world. It does have that. Um, import of uh, ingredients from all the former colonies and all the actual uh, people from those countries coming in and you have this wonderful uh, mixture of ideas and things going on so um, even back as far as the second world war people could still have this concept and idea of of a curry so maybe I should give that to you and you guys could stick it out then and um, (laughs) people could actually go through it and see what they it's, it was kind of it read like a really bad version of a Vesta curry. 
I'm quite intrigued now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send it over. I kind of want to make it. A school one, I think a school dinner's one that we had that was basically sort of just some beef mints with a few raisins in, a couple of boiled eggs on top. And I think that, <laughs> was, that was my primary school curry, which was just like, um, I'm not sure that's quite right. But yeah, that sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. Those, those cookery books are amazing. They do things like apricot tart that's just a load of grated carrots. And you're like, that's... I do kind of really like that sort of... It, you have to bring quite a lot of kind of role play, sort of imagination. You have to think of an apricot tart really hard as you eat this carrot, yeah. which I think is yeah. quite fun. So we've sort of spoken about different interpretations. In your cookery class, what sort of um, dish do you teach? Would you say it's sort of authentic and, you know strictly strict sticks to the original recipe or have you put your own spin on it i have put a little bit of my own spin on it in that i like to i kind of in my cookery glasses i've sort of doubled up on this idea of the tandoori meat the chicken tikas the chicken pieces and the the sauce so i like to use it as an opportunity to show people how to um to make a chicken tikka. So I use things like uh, mint and mango powder, green mango powder to give a tangy flavour and something called black sauce. I'll show you guys this, which is kind of like a crystalline lump. And I tell my students, um, Miriam, I don't know if you remember this. Um, it, It kind of has a very sulfury taste. I always make a big deal like they've, mind it from the sewers of old Bombay or what it has really <laughs> quite uh, a, a lot of a lot of people's faces do really sort of screw up when they taste it. I make everyone taste this at the same time prior to that everyone's tasting all the ingredients one by one but this one I say okay after three we're all going to taste it just so no one <laughs> no one bails out it is quite so I use a bit of that and that is something it's an ingredient as awful as it sounds is an ingredient which people like to put in their snacks or a chart masala so essentially i'm making a little bit of a chart masala um in my butter ch- using a bit of chart masala style ingredients in my butter chicken which i guess your purists wouldn't like however when you do taste that uh the, again going back to the pleasure of this combination of the roasted meat and the sauce people do like it because it has that charred tandoori type thing so um, it's in there. I use it. We're using things like uh, chili, and I put a little bit of lime juice. Uh, we've got uh, yogurt and cumin powder, garlic and ginger, coriander powder. Um, those, I guess, those are the sort of key ingredients people would have in their marinade. And then in making the sauce, you do find a lot of people having a tomato-based sauce with. Whole spices, Miriam loves the cardamom, so things like that, and cinnamon, and uh, maybe cloves, things, the, the things which people call garam masala, these whole warming spices. And they might put some cashew nuts in, and they might pressure cook that, um, and then puree it to get a very nice, creamy, rich sauce. I tend not to use so much in the way of nuts, just because there's invariably some in our cookery school who can't have it. Um, but you know, you know, people should feel free to do that if you want to uh, have that kind of richness. Um, and that's essentially it. You're creating a tomato base, a aromatic tomato base, and you're going to insert your lovely char-grilled pieces of chicken. 
That sounds Yum. wonderful. All, all the we best spices. Record these like really near lunchtime and I'm like, oh, yeah, really <laughs> I'm, I'm very hungry right now. <laughs> Just had some really sad muesli. I had a look at the recipe that you sent through and it's yeah. got two um, stages of marinades. Can you talk us through why you're putting two, yeah. two marinades in there? So as far as the marinades are concerned, so what people will generally do is they will get their um, chicken. I like to use chicken breast just because I can cut it up into large pieces. And when I skewer it, when I, because uh, you can either cook this if you don't have a tandoor. And guess what? Most people don't. Um, you can either <laughs> do it on a griddle pan or you can actually skewer it. And so the marination will have one marination with a little bit of something sharp and some chilli powder, that's what I'll uh, kickstart it. Um, often you do see people uh, making their marinades and they put everything onto their meat. So I don't do that because obviously you don't want to taste your marinade once it's gone onto the meat. So the first marination, yes, a little bit of salt, a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of chilli powder, you're not missing out anything by not tasting that. So let that kickstart kick the, um, the marination off with that. Uh, and then in another bowl, get your garlic and ginger paste, um, your uh, yogurts, um, some cumin powder, coriander powder, things like kasuri meti. So meti is a wonderful ingredient. So meti is a, a plant. Um, you can People might know it as seeds. They're very hard. And, but if you were to taste the seeds, you'll find they have quite a bitter taste. Um, grown into the veg, uh, people use it like a spinach. It has a little bitterness. And when it's grown, it's also dried. It's half sitting dried. And Kasura is a region in Pakistan where they, it's quite famous for. So often it's called Kasuri Meti. Uh, on my classes, we call it, can you remember what we call it, Miriam? IWJ. <laughs> okay, do you remember IWJ? So um, IWJ, basically... Back in the day, I don't know if you guys can remember this, May, it was like, I think like last February, the restaurants were packed, you'd be going out, meeting your friends, going out on Friday night, going into the restaurant, and your waiter uh, would be really sweating to get his dishes out to you. And if your waiter brushed past you, just one or two octaves beneath his own natural BO, you would smell <laughs> this messy over him so just as an aid memoir on our classes i call it indian waiter jacket just because <laughs> if you put the mess into hot oil it really does release quite a, a clinging smell and i always imagine that if i were to be the kind of person who'd carry a sharp pair of scissors out of an evening into an indian restaurant uh i would if that waiter had left his jacket hanging up I'd cut out a bit <laughs> of his jacket, right back the the armpit area. And I always imagine if I got that and steeped into anything I was cooking, I would have the perfect curry. Okay, so IWJ, Indian waiter jacket, is our little code word for <laughs> messy. And the messy really adds this kind of savoury aromaticness. And people will put it into their marinades and they will also sprinkle it onto their dishes as well. So a lot of guys are really into the dishum makhni dal and they will again they will sprinkle a little bit of messy on top of it and it's uh, really quite evocative of that indian restaurant taste so in our second marinade garlic and ginger yogurt coriander powder cumin powder uh kasuri messy i put mint in 
I'm putting my um, black salt, the smelly salt in. So mixing it all up, taste your marinade, have a bit of salt in it, taste it. Taste it before you put the meat in it, okay? Get it right, then marinate your meat. You only need a few hours. Some people say overnight. I think if you are putting things like acids and yogurts and things which will break down the enzymes in your meat, you don't want to leave it in too long because your meat can start to break up essentially. So uh, a few hours it is fine. And then we skewer it and either under the grill for about, um, you'd have to keep turning it, maybe about six, seven minutes, leave it under the grill a minute at a time, turn it. One thing about skewers, uh, we have um, massive skewers. They're about uh, two and a half, three feet long, and they are in cross-section, they're square. And, um, or sometimes you get blade-like ones. If you've got round metal skewers, your meat will just spin round and round and round, very frustrating. So if you are going to get skewers, especially great if you're doing barbecuing outside, then get some proper things which where the meat won't slip. If you're going to cook it on the griddle pan, that's fine as well. You'll get some nice um, charred grilled bits there. And you want to uh, cook those pieces again um, three or four minutes uh, each side. Uh, t- sorry, two or three minutes each side. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's not cooked because it's going to finish cooking in the sauce. Keep um, any meat juices and things like that uh, for when you put that into your sauce. So that's Essentially, the marination is to, I guess, to open up the meat to allow the, the chicken to absorb flavours. But do make sure you taste your marinade before you apply it to the meat, just so you've got it to your particular taste. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so good because I made a similar recipe and it was... Um, it, it, I, I usually avoid like chicken breast because I, I hate it if it's like dry yeah. and that marinade just makes it super juicy and delicious and it just makes it so good. Um, I'm so excited to try this and I think I actually have those skewers. My garage is full of them yeah. and, you know, we have like the really thick ones that are about that thick for um, Kubida and then we have the sort of smaller ones for individual meat pieces. So that's very exciting that I actually have some some kit that can can come in handy. Yeah, that's such definitely. a good tip because like if you've made this beautiful chicken and it's like you know it's charring just the way you want it and then a bit just plops off. Yeah, you just so exactly. gutted. So it's a really good tip. Get the right. Especially skewers. if you're doing it outside. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, in, indoors, uh, you know, if you've got it on the a griddle pan, that's that's fine. But um, yeah, if you're barbecuing anything outside and you've got those little things it's all a bit of a disaster because you can never you burn your fingers trying to sort of change things around whatever just one thing about uh, the marinades mm. um i think a lot of people who don't have the confidence when they're cooking and they follow recipes religiously um, i think it's a good thing to sort of if you can just to try and free up your mind a little bit Take things to the edge, have a little peer over um, uh, and see how things work for you. And what I mean is, if you are tasting your marinade and you think you've got just enough chilli heat, see what happens if you add a little bit more chilli. Or see what happens if you add just a little bit more salt. Um, And have a little experiment with, with that and see what it does to it. 
if you don't like it, uh, you can always just dilute things down again with um, a bit more yogurt and you can start again. But I always think it's quite good just to, as it were, peer over the side and see how things work out and see if you actually get something which is a bit more of a, a nicer flavour for yourself. So That's I guess really kind of good push, push your boundaries a little bit. So you've got the beautiful meat, you've got the gorgeous gravy. What would you serve it with? What else would you serve it with? Uh, well, um, on our Punjabi course, we uh, make naans, so breads. Um, Nadia, you're going to have a whole a raft of, your dad will have taught you how to make, or you'll have seen him make all sorts of lovely uh, breads and spongy breads and naans and things like that. We do naans. That whole sort of um, naan thing is much more, I guess, much more of a, a Persian and Central Asian thing. I mean, the best thing is uh, a naan bread. I loved it. I love that. <laughs> Once again, I am very, very hungry. <laughs> Just going to have to edit out all the <laughs> grumblings from both of us. Um, okay, so you said that you, uh, she said, Geology and journalism were things you yeah. did before, was that right? So yeah. when did you fall in love with cooking? How did you get from, from there to there? Yeah, well, uh, you've met my mum, Mrs. Jim. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like a lot of people, it starts when you're young. And uh, my parents, as I mentioned earlier, my parents had a sweet shop. And my mum would go up um, at about five in the evening to cook the family meal. And I used to love, as a small kid, uh, just watching her um, cook. She was. She actually looked happy. There's, you know, you've got business to run. You've got four kids. There's no, you know, all born within a year of each other. It's, you know, it's hard work. And um, she used to sort of be rolling out chapatis on this cupboard. I can remember the cupboard. It's like a, it's a cupboard which had a pull down uh, lid, and really sort of seventies kind of furniture. And she'd you'd be rolling chapatis on that. Wow. And singing to herself, and she she used to be lost. Um, and I thought, well, I think who is that woman? She's gone. My mother's disappeared <laughs> off somewhere. And anyway, I would enjoy that. And then she started bringing me in. I, and she'd say, "Go on, you have a little taste. What does it need?" And of course, the moment that happens, you've got some sort of ownership on the meal and so when you did have a, a family meal when, when we did all sit down you think well actually that's partly to do with me of course it never needed anything I'd say something it never, it never ever needed anything and I don't know whether she actually put anything in or not but um that's how I got interested in it and then from a young age I guess we the parents were really busy so we'd be cooking us kids would be cooking our, our own breakfast going off to school and um you just get into it like that. And then I started working in um, a French restaurant before I went to university. And then when I was at university, I used to run the Ents cooking for bands. So we'd cook for all sorts of uh, big names. Um, and I'd go back to that French restaurant during holidays just to carry on working there. And then I, I actually ended up working for the BBC in food, at the food programme in food journalism. And so it's been a kind of convoluted journey and a friend of mine said come on set up the cookery school you know you want to and so I did and Miriam you turned up I did yeah it's great I mean I got lost on the way so I was horribly late that day but um yeah when I did get there it was it was super fun yeah and it's a vegetarian one that I did um, oh you did vegetarian oh, right yeah, okay yeah, but there would have yeah. been some usual suspects and I yeah definitely was, was, definitely I saw, oh, you know what you did the advanced vegetarian so there was no Indian waist jacket <laughs> 
Uh, that does sound familiar, though. I don't know whether you mentioned it at some point, but that does sound uh, familiar. Probably, yeah. But yeah, 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 it was great. Um, fab. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you for bringing the, the dish forward. And with your um, like food stylist hat on, how would you best present it, do you think? Well, uh, it is nice with a little drizzle of cream. I do like to have um, some little juliennes of uh, ginger. I'm a bit of a ginger addict, so I'll have a little yeah. bit of uh, that on. I know... Some people even like um, dry roasting the Indian waiter jacket and sprinkling that over it. So in a dry pan, you could just uh, uh, a minute or so just on some uh, on, on carefully uh, roasting your um, herb, uh, sprinkle it over, and that would look nice as well. Fab. Buttery naans, obviously. <laughs> And um, what would you serve before and maybe after it as a as a starter and dessert? If you're going for as a full a, dinner party thing. As a full thing. Um, We're all just like dreaming of being able to yeah. have dinner parties at the moment. We've been in lockdown. For so well, uh, I mean, at the moment I hear the word starter, <laughs> my default <laughs> setting is prawn cocktail. So. <laughs> Let's go rogue. That's fine. Do it. Prawn cocktail. But as as an Indian starter, well, I mean, often you'll have things like people will. If you go around someone's house, go to an Indian or someone from the subcontinent's house, they'll they'll have loads of little sort of handheld snacks to start off with barges and things like that. I guess we never, as a family, we never really did. starters everything you know the, the main event was the main dish and sometimes in india you'll actually find on a special occasion you'll even have your dessert at the same time so um but i guess if you do want to sort of uh for want of word westernize it and break it up into a starter i mean you could have if you wanted a surf and turf from that northern indian style you could have some amritsari fish so that's fish uh fillet cooked uh coated in well, marinating some spices, in particular things like ajway, which is something called um, a carom seed, which you will know from when you do have an onion barge, it's got a very sort of distinctive little taste. And it's often from these little seeds called ajway or carom seeds. And they will um, maybe have some tangy green mango powder in that and have a batter made from chickpea flour. So it's kind of like... Um, Oh, no, that's making me salivate. It's kind of, it's kind of like um, uh, fish and chips, uh, but Indian style. Mm. Um, so you could have that if you wanted to uh, have a little surf and turf. Or I guess you could just get away with a, a really nice little salad and have maybe with things like mooli or radish, have some slightly sh- stronger, sharper flavours and maybe make a more chilli or infused, a sort of spicier dressing to go with it. Clean the palate and make way for your lovely creamy butter chicken. Sharpen up the tongue and then get involved in the, the main event. Sounds fabulous. Yeah. If I can think of something a little bit more startling. <laughs> you then don't have I, to. I mean, will... if that's not the format, like, yeah. don't, you know, don't worry about well, well, it. What do you guys, if you go to an Indian <laughs> restaurant, what do you have as... Do you have do you have a start or do you just go for the main thing? I go for the main thing. I'm not really. I'm only a starter sort of person if it's, I guess, an Italian restaurant, really. But usually, I don't really go for starters or dessert. Like my dad's restaurant, if I go, 
then I'll have starters every time. But if it's home cooking, like my aunties are cooking or my family's cooking, then we don't really have starters as such. We sort of have crisps, but we don't have, you know, <laughs> Persian starters. We have like, I was, <laughs> yeah, we just have crisps and nuts and stuff. But that's kind of interesting. I think I mean, you should have a starter. If you're going to have a special occasion meal at home, why not? Let's let's uh, have a little starter and, and maybe you can either make your own onion barges or make some falafel type things. We have in India, we've got lots of things called vadas. I think snack crisps or like little, little snack stuff is fine because it's like often the reason we'll serve like a sort of starter-ish thing is because we just know that a couple of our friends are going to be late. Yeah. <laughs> and then the main course won't be as good. So just it's like, I need over. to put out just like some stuff. <laughs> and actually sometimes I prefer that. Like, you know, I'm really into all the little, yeah. little bits because I just can't yeah. decide what I want. So having lots of little bits is always really nice. Yeah. Well, uh, how often do you guys go to a restaurant and actually you're, you have like two or three starters as your main just because you get that selection, you get the little variety and you have, uh, I, mean, I, I like doing I that. would love to do that. Often I feel bad about doing that, especially if it's like, if other people are doing a more standard thing. But I think if I had my way, I'd quite like a lot of I do. <laughs> I do love that choice though. I Because whenever I order stuff in a restaurant, I always get jealous because I don't like limiting myself to one dish. So I've got a few select people that I know will agree to me ordering what I want and they order what they want but then we half the dish which I know some people yeah. may completely disagree with but it, yeah. it has to be done sometimes often I want two things at least two things on the menu so the opportunity to sort of mix and match that's that makes my restaurant yeah. experience really totally. it's more convivial I mean you're right yeah. some people just like to hog the thing and that's it <laughs> But it's more convivial to share. Yeah, yeah. I've done it with my husband in the restaurant. I've definitely eaten exactly half of my meal. He's eaten exactly half. We've just swapped. swap it. Yeah, yeah. Goodness, I have no idea what the waiters or the, you know the chefs think of these. Just two people just passing their half-eaten meals over. But it's yeah. always that when you go out with someone that you know well, but you've never been to a restaurant with them before, and you're sort of trying to fill oh, them yeah. out. Like, oh, do you, do they want to share the starters or? Are they up for that or not really? I mean, these days that's probably not going to happen much anymore. Yeah. I think sharing food is a thing of the past, but yeah. So maybe individual dream. starters will kind of come back. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, we're definitely, you you sort of do that dance with like new friends as to yeah. like how foodie sherry are yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, you know, if I'm out with like um, anyone from like good food, it's just like, what's that? Like, yeah. let's try this. But I think well, the friends who perhaps uh, don't work in food, you, you'll have like a selection of stuff and I'll be like, is, is anyone going to, are you, you going to eat that as well? Can I have that too? Yeah. You've got all this beautiful food out. You've got your bus chicken, drizzled it with cream. It's all looking fabulous. Who is around your table? I know we're not allowed to kind of have that many people around at the moment, but fantasy dinner party, dead, alive, fictional, who's there? Um, yeah, well, I guess <laughs> uh, I guess I wouldn't mind if David Bow is there. Oh, brilliant. And I might put up with his company for a bit. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'd like uh, people like, you know, these oldie chefs. I'd love to know what they would feel about the way we operate today and how little of things we use and how, um, how narrow-minded we are about in our cooking. I'd love that to sort of uh, really sort of immerse myself in, in their way of thinking and how 
all sorts of creatures were fair game, <laughs> all sorts of vegetables, things which I, I guess the way we farm today, we've sort of shrunk our range of ingredients. Mm. And I, I imagine in the past, people had access to a whole range of things which were much more interesting. So I'd certainly have someone um, from four or five hundred pre-industrial revolution in this country and, and uh, the royal courts of France or something like that. Amazing. Um, I'd love to have someone like that around. That is They're a combination choice. with David Barry, those two. Yeah. yeah. And Najee, would you, if you go to an Indian restaurant, would you have a dessert? A lot of people, again, they come to us and they go, oh, I wouldn't have a dessert. Oh, Indian sweets are way too sweet and uh, that kind of thing. Do you know what? I don't think I'm just I thinking would. About your, I'm just thinking about your three-course meal because you've asked for the starch <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. Dessert, I, I don't think I've ever had a dessert at an Indian restaurant, to be honest. What's on the menu? What are we talking here? Well, there's lots of sort of uh, yogurty type things, oh, soft yeah. yogurty type things. There's lots of halva. I mean, it's not like baked pies and things like that. I don't think my view on Indian sweets is that the, the, some of them are delicious, but it's not. Uh, that's not the all the effort really goes into the main side of things. And, mm. and they have lovely um, flour based things, either chickpea flour or halvas and things like that. Mm. But really. It's it's more about the men, but they are. I mean, we we make um, and I don't know if we did it with you, Miriam. We make a, something called a shrikhand, which is a, a dish, a spiced set curd, which you might even have with your main meal. So you'll be rip off a piece of chapati, have a bit of savoury stuff, and then rip off another bit of chapati, dunk it into your sweet, and then obviously after that savouriness, the sweet is even more sweet. And then you go back to the savoury with another piece of chapati, and that becomes even more savoury tasting and you end up in a sort of a vortex of mad foodness you know so um but people will have their sweet at the same time that sounds great and also means you've got more time at the table with david bowie yeah so <laughs> you know you're not getting up to go and get a separate dessert it's, it's all there at the same time it's Genius. a win-win situation <laughs> yeah do you know what now i'm thinking is it acceptable to have a three-course meal at 12 o'clock because <laughs> i'm very hungry right now and i'm thinking maybe <laughs> <laughs> Might be able to whip something up in my kitchen. <sighs> I think that sounds like a good plan. And we're all ravenous now. I'm sure the listeners are too. I can't wait yeah. to, to try it. I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you for listening to Rookie and Nice, a new podcast from BBC Good Food. For recipes and more information, please visit bbcgoodfood.com slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. 